Today on Blue 58, Brian Gutekunst has been on the job in Green Bay for two years, and in 2019, we saw the culmination of a lot of his work so far. So how has he been doing? Let's talk about that. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Sorry about the delay on this show. This was supposed to come out on Friday. Life stuff got in the way. Just a lot of stuff going on here. It happens. Here we are. It's Monday instead. Hope you had a good weekend. Hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl. It's going to be a busy offseason for the Packers. It always is. Brian Gutekunst is, is up now. Uh, the last episode, we talked all about the Packers' main coaches, Matt LaFleur and Mike Pettin. How did they do in 2019? And a big theme of that episode was that there are some things that players or that coaches can control, but by and large, it's the players. The NFL is a player-driven league. Football is a player-driven game. And perhaps more so than any sport outside the NBA, you need great players to really be a contender at all. I mean, in the NBA, if you don't have one of the top five or seven players in the league on your team, there's no chance, no chance that you were going to win a championship. It just doesn't happen. The NFL is a little bit different. You do need those great players. They have to come together and form a cohesive whole, but you do still need to have those great players. Even the numbers guys, as we referenced in that episode, will say that coaching affects only about 30% of the variation in a team's success from year to year. The rest of it is players and injuries and stuff like that. But that's all player-related stuff. So the players matter. And the person who brings in those players is Brian Gutekunst. The thing I want to emphasize in this episode and everything we talk about related to personnel, bringing in players, trades, the draft, free agency, all that stuff, is none of these moves happen in a vacuum. I wrote an article recently on thepowersweep.com, published late last week, about how the Packers are still dealing with, for better and for worse, sort of the ghosts of Ted Thompson. Right, Ted Thompson is still officially with the Packers. He doesn't really have an, an actual role anymore. It's more of a football mind emeritus sort of things. But the things that he did with the Packers are still affecting this team. They affected the Packers in 2019. They'll affect the Packers in 2020. The offensive line, the skill position players for good and for ill, the defense for good and for ill, mostly ill there. A lot of it is either because of or in response to things that Ted Thompson did. And that's really the thrust of all personnel moves. Moves are always in response to other moves, either building on stuff or you're correcting stuff. That's really the two ways that every personnel move happens. That's the reasoning behind everything that you do. So let's look at Brian Gutekunst's moves over the past year. And we're going to look at it in three phases. We're going to talk about the offseason, which is the end of last season through training camp. We're going to talk about the draft, which is part of the offseason, I understand, but it's distinct enough that it's its own thing. And then we're going to talk about moves that happened in season. So let's start with the offseason. His off-season decisions. First and foremost, he released a few guys. Notably, he released Antonio Morrison, Nick Perry, and Mike Daniels. Two of those three were kind of foregone conclusions. Antonio Morrison wasn't a special player anyway. He was filling a very specific role on the Packers. The slightest opportunity to improve, he's probably going to be out of here. And that's what happened. 
He was released pretty early on, um, right before the start of free agency. Nick Perry, much the same way. I I saw a couple people make cases for keeping him last year. They were never going to be very good cases, and I think everybody understood that. He was released March 12th. He took up a lot of dead cap on the Packers in 2019, but that's the price for moving on. And then just before training camp started, the Packers released Mike Daniels, July 24th. And that's something I actually argued against at the time. Um, History quickly proved Brian Gutekunst correct because Mike Daniels did not stay healthy for much of 2019 at all, though the Packers definitely could have used some depth on the defensive line. And who knows if Mike Daniels gets hurt, if he sticks around, there's a lot of variables there. Still probably the right move to have moved on. I don't have anything to say really about any of these three moves. They all seem like pretty no-brainer sort of sort of things. In retrospect, the Mike Daniels thing, even among them. Uh, he re-signed Mercedes Lewis, and this was something that was not a foregone conclusion because it sounded like Mercedes Lewis was all but ready to call it a career. He wasn't happy with how he was used in 2018. He wasn't sure if he wanted to come back with a new coach. But Brian Gutekunst sat him down, said things are going to be different in 2019, and they were. And I think Mercedes Lewis played pretty well this season. The big moves came in free agency proper. Gutekunst signed Adrian Amos, he signed Billy Turner, he signed Preston Smith, and he signed Zadaria Smith. It's hard to talk about any of these moves individually because they really all happened so quickly, and they spent so much money, you almost have to talk about the effort as a whole. But individually, you kind of rank the signings now, a year later, as Zedaria Smith, Preston Smith, Amos, and then Turner. I think that's a per- fairly safe ranking of those four. Zedaria Smith obviously had the biggest impact, Preston Smith not far behind him. Adrian Amos, kind of a stabilizing force in the secondary. And Billy Turner, uh, reliable up front, if not spectacular. He didn't have a great season, but he was available. And when he was out there, he gave the Packers quite a bit. Again, hard to take issue with any one of these signings. And I think, on the whole, Brian Gutekunst's free agency exploits this past offseason were pretty good. There was one player the Packers were linked with that they didn't end up signing. Malik Jackson, who ultimately signed with the the Philadelphia Eagles, was rumored to be a Packers target. It became apparent that the Packers maybe had been used as some leverage over the course of of discussions with with free agents. That happens from time to time, but the Packers were at least interested there. I think you probably take one of the Smiths off the table, or if the Packers got both of the Smiths, you probably take Turner and Amos off the table if the Packers do get Malik Jackson there. Ultimately, I think I like the configuration of the of the players that they got. Edge rushers are hugely important. The Packers needed some help in the back end of their defense. And obviously, as we saw as the season went on, offensive line depth and talent is at a premium. That's why guys, even middle-of-the-road sort of linemen like Billy Turner, can get pretty big contracts. Malik Jackson missing out on him ultimately isn't that big of a deal. The biggest offseason decision that I think you can take real issue with with Brian Gutekunst is the decision not to cut Jimmy Graham. Graham was due a roster bonus very early on into the league year. I think it was like 9 or 11 days in, and I probably could look that up, but that's it's not really that important. The point is Gutekunst had some time to decide what he wanted to do with Jimmy Graham even after the league year started. 
And ultimately, he decided to bring him in at a pretty exorbitant salary. To me, this reeks of throwing good money after bad. I don't know what you look at in 2018 that you project into 2019 and say, yeah, I think Jimmy Graham can do more given the opportunity to come back and be a year older. Graham, and I think I'm probably among the staunchest Graham defenders in 2018. I don't think he had a terrible 2018 season. Up until the point he broke his thumb against the Seattle Seahawks, he was on pace to have one of the best, if not the best, seasons a Packers tight end has ever had. And the Packers hardly have a legacy of great tight ends, I understand that, but he was going to have a statistically pretty decent year. But even so, I don't think you'll look at what he did in 2019 and project that out and say, yes, absolutely, I want some more of that. Not only that, I want some more at a higher price. Looking back at that season... It makes Gutekunst's decision almost sort of inconceivable. And perhaps this is a situation, perhaps this is some evidence of Gutekunst being a human being. Human beings, I think as a species, maybe I'm projecting here, are not great at saying, yeah, here's an area where I screwed up. I made a very high-profile mistake. I did that. That was my fault. I think signing Jimmy Graham in retrospect was a mistake. We made the mistake again in 2019. You kind of had an opportunity to re-sign him. And Gutekunst did just that. He decided, yeah, I'm going to eat this big salary bonus or this big roster bonus, and we're going to bring it back again. We're going to go with another another year of the Jimmy Graham experiment. Statistically, it was, it was not even on pace at any point to be as close to what he was in, in 2018. Just a, just a questionable, I think, decision at best. Overall, the offseason decisions seem pretty good. The, the ones where there's a little bit of gray area, Mike Daniels ultimately pans out. All the free agent signings had to have worked out about as good as they possibly could have. Even Mercedes Lewis probably gave you more than you thought you probably would, would get out of him in 2019. Pretty far up there age-wise, he was as good as he could have been, I think. The draft is a little bit of a different animal. We've got to explore this explore this carefully. I'd like to open with a comment that we got on our YouTube channel uh, from user Lee86. He re- or he evaluating the draft has a... I, he, Lee is a, a harsh grader here, and we'll kind of delve into a couple of the points here, but I want to kind of open this up as a way to approach talking about the draft. Here's what Mr. Lee86 says. Gary, Rashawn Gary, not producing in college wasn't even the worst part of that draft pick. It was drafting that position at all. They have the Smith for four years apiece. They did not need outside linebacker, no matter how good Gary was. Then feeling you need to move up, to, or you need safety so bad that you give up two fourth-round picks to move up to 29, from 29 to 21 for a specific guy when it was a deep safety class. In the fourth, Fourth round, Green Bay Mines talent often. So Savage should have been 12, Jenkins or whoever, maybe wide receiver at 29, then Jenkins or whoever in the second round, then the additional two fourth rounders. The 12th pick could have and should have been utilized better. Nothing we can do now. Go Packers. There's a lot to unpack there, and I present it not as something that I want to take up and, and look at point by point because I think there's quite a bit there that I would I would disagree with. But I think what is good here is that Lee is looking at this in totality. 
everything that you do in the draft, even perhaps more so than in free agency, is taking resources away from somewhere else. And you can look at outcomes really clearly because you have a clear list of things that you could have done differently. You pick X player at X pick. You can look at everybody who was picked after that point and say, yep, uh, could have had him, could have had him, could have had him. It's not necessarily fair, but it is something that you can do. We should add a slight correction here. The Packers didn't trade from 29th to 21st. They traded from 30th to 21st, but that is kind of beside the point. The point is the Packers traded up and got Darnell Savage here and used some resources that they would have had otherwise, essentially on one player. Quick overview before we dive into the three, I think, biggest storylines out of the draft. Here's who the Packers came out with with the draft, or came out of the draft with last year. 12th overall, Rashawn Gary. 21st overall, Darnell Savage. 44th, Elton Jenkins. 75th, Jay Sternberger. 150th, Kingsley Kiki. 185th, Kadar Holman. 194th, Dexter Williams. That was the Brett Hundley pick that they got from Seattle. And then 226th, Ty Summers. Before we dive into the exact things that I'd like to talk about with the draft, couple caveats. First, I'm not interested at this point in talking about the quality of these players in general. I think that's a dumb thing to do just one year later. We need some time. You got to let this draft class breathe a little bit. I'm also not interested in, even though I mentioned it as a thing you can do, I'm not interested in doing, they should have taken X where they took Y for similar reasons. They should have drafted, just for example, they should have drafted Terry McLaurin at 75 where they took Jace Sternberger. That may be true, but I don't think we know enough about most of these picks yet to make that sort of categorical claim. What I am interested in doing, and kind of alluded to this up top, is talking about how resources were handled. And I think there are three situations, our commenter Lee86 kind of touched on it, three situations where you have really big resource allocation questions. The first one is the 12th overall pick. The Packers take Rashawn Gary out of Michigan, 12th overall. The highest draft pick the Packers have had in some time. They decide to go with an edge rusher. A guy in Rashawn Gary who is a freakish tester, but a bit of a project as a player. He was not super productive in college and kind of a tweener size-wise. Wasn't really defensive lineman big, not really edge rusher small and bendy and fast. So two questions that I have about this pick. First, is it a good idea to draft a guy at a position where you've already spent a a bunch of resources? Second, is it a good idea to take a project player 12th overall? Because I think, generally speaking, that's kind of what Rashawn Gary is. He's not a finished product as an edge rusher. So let's take those questions one at a time. They are related. Let's approach them one at a time. First, question one, is it a good idea to draft Rashawn Gary an outside linebacker, edge rusher type, when you've already spent a bunch of money on that exact player. So the Packers took Rashawn Gary, despite having just spent an enormous amount of money on Zadarius and Preston Smith. Is that a good idea? In this situation, not in all situations, but in this situation, I actually say yes, it is a defensible and even a good idea. Edge rushers are the quarterbacks of the defense. They're the most important players on that defense, and they make the most money as a result. The difference is you don't need just one edge rusher. In fact, I think you can never really have too many. I think that was pretty evident this year. Look how top-heavy the Packers' pass rush was. You had Zadarius Smith, you had Preston Smith, and you had pretty much nobody else other than Kenny Clark, 
regularly pressuring the passer. If either of the Smiths had gotten injured, their pass rush would have been practically worthless. Even Zadarius Smith, as regularly as he beats double teams, probably would not have been able to produce enough to offset the loss of Preston Smith. Taking Rashawn Gary is insurance against that. The most important thing that you can do on defense is rush the passer well. And taking a guy who has the tools to be a great pass rusher is insurance against that, if he's any good. And that is the problem that you try to address with that second question. Is it a good idea to take a project player 12th overall? If edge rushers are important, you should try to get them probably as early as you can because that's when the good ones tend to go. But taking Rashawn Gary wasn't a layup because after you start getting out of that top five, six picks, chances are the super elite edge rushers are going to be gone. Everyone knows that you got to have them. That's why guys like Nick Bosa are going second overall. So if you're taking one at 12th, there's a good chance that there are going to be some flaws in this diamond. Rashawn Gary is going to be a bit of a project if you're taking him at 12th overall. But if you're thinking you need edge rushers and you want as many of them as you can as you can possibly get, I think you can understand why you might want to try to get, get the one with the best physical tools available. So I think you can see the thinking there. I think you can see the thought process. The Packers want to get more edge rushers. It's going to help their defense overall. Let's take the guy with the best physical tools. This is where I have to point out that Montez Sweat, who had physical tools at least comparable to Rashawn Gary, and Brian Burns, who was productive, more productive than both of them, were both also available. So was that thinking still good? I got to hedge a little bit and say the results ultimately are going to show us, but I am skeptical of that thought process. Right after the draft, I wrote an article asking whether or not we should be concerned about Rashawn Gary's lack of production at Michigan. And to be fair, there are some usage issues with Rashawn Gary. He was not used as strictly an edge rusher. But when you look at his numbers compared to other people who rushed the passer in college who were taken in the first round, there are some red flags. We look at a number called production ratio a lot. And I'll link this entire article in your show notes. So take a look at that. Um, scroll down and whatever app you're using, check it out. But we use production ratio to compare pass rushers against one another. It measures sacks and tackles for lost in the amount or tackles for lost in the amount of games that you've played. Basically, you're wanting to get to like one and a half or better if you want to be an elite college edge rusher. So just for comparison, Ed Oliver, taken in the top 10, his production ratio in college was 2.08. He's an interior pass rusher. That's insane. Montez Sweat, taken a few picks after Rashawn Gary. His production ratio in college was 2.0. Nick Bosa went second overall. Great player at Ohio State. His career production ratio was 1.6. Rashawn Gary, usage questions aside, produced a production ratio of just 0.96. Not a great number. Gary wasn't just unproductive. Compared to his peers in the first round, he was wildly unproductive. I don't know how you're not going to take a project if you're going to take a pass rusher at 12, but Rashawn Gary was a capital P project. Say they took Montez Sweat. 
Say you take Brian Burns. There are going to be questions about them too, but they're not the same kind of questions as you have about Rashawn Gary. If you're just looking for a situational pass rusher, why not a Brian Burns? Why not a Montez Sweat, who has the physical tools, but is more productive in college than Rashawn Gary? Why devote your resources to this guy? I think that's going to be an open question for a few years now. The second big area where we can talk about resource allocation is the trade-up to get Darnell Savage. Is it ever a good idea to essentially spend three picks on one player? Because the Packers traded 30 and two-fourths for the 21st overall pick. And to Lee86's point, this was something of a deep safety class. Could the Packers have gotten something comparable later? Could they have taken, say, I'll just take Elton Jenkins at 30, get your safety at 44? I don't know if we can say that definitively yet. However, I think it's generally true that having more swings in the draft is almost always better. You can debate whether swinging in the fourth round is a good idea, but at least having more chances to get an elite level player is almost always a good good idea. Headed into the draft last year, even after free agency, I think the Packers had need up and down, uh, need for depth up and down their roster. They had needs at wide receiver, they had needs at tight end, they had needs on the offensive line. They did not draft a wide receiver. They drafted a tight end in the third round, and they got an offensive lineman in the forty or in the in the second, Elton Jenkins, forty fourth overall. But understanding that, understanding their need for depth, Gutekunst chose to spend four picks on a project at twelve and a safety in a deep safety class. Is that a good re- use of resources? We cannot answer that now. But the good thing is. We can play the results really hard on this. Playing the results is sometimes unfair, but Gutekunst is really specifically asking us to play the results here because he's thrown his process out there. In this draft class, he had specific guys he wanted to get. He got Rashawn Gary at 12. He got Darnell Savage at 21. If one or both of those guys turns out to be not very good, That's a big indictment of his process. If it does work out, Gutekunst looks like a genius. If both of them turn out to be great players. If he doesn't, if both of them don't work out, if they just both turn out to be pretty okay, Gutekunst might be out of a job. Finally, the third question I had about this draft class is more a philosophical one than a question of, I guess, resource allocation. But I think it's a fair one to ask. When do you pick a skill position player that you need versus an offensive lineman that you need? Because the Packers took Elton Jenkins 44th overall when there were a number of good wide receivers still on the board. DK Metcalf is one, for example, who turned out to be pretty good. Terry McLaurin in the third round, also pretty good, although the Packers did go skill position, skill position in that round anyway. Generally speaking, I'm probably going to come down on Gutekunst's side here. I think a comparable offensive lineman is as or more valuable than a comparable skill position player. The average offensive lineman that you can get in the second round is probably going to help your team more than the average wide receiver or tight end. Because I think they are comparably that much more rare. I think there are fewer good offensive linemen than there are receivers who can be NFL level. 
I think you can find a decent enough skill position player later in the in the draft than you can a good offensive lineman. For evidence of that, just look who the Packers were rolling out on the offensive line down the stretch last year. When Brian Bulaga got hurt the first time, they replaced him with an undrafted free agent in Alex Light. Uh, when Brian Bulaga was sick in the playoffs, they replaced him with a guy who had been retired a couple years earlier in Jared Veldhier. It's a pretty small pool of good offensive linemen that you're picking from. And I think for that reason, if Gutekunst thought he could get a guy who could be a starter both in the short and long term on the offensive line, it's worth picking him up in the second round. You can find a skill position player who can do that sort of thing, I think, later on. Chances are you're going to be changing them in and out pretty regularly. Look how different the, how different the Packers receiving group is going to look this year as opposed to 2019. At least we hope. I think there's a better chance of finding defen- decent receivers, pass catchers, than there are. Um, there's a better chance of finding those guys than, than offensive linemen. Maybe that's just me, but uh, I think that's my read on on offensive line versus skill position players. Finally, we got to talk about Gutekunst in-season additions here. There were four noteworthy in-season additions. He traded for B.J. Goodson on September 3rd. He claimed Tremont Smith on waivers September 17th. He got Jared Veld here on waivers the 29th of November. And he got Tyler Irvin on waivers December 3rd. Individually, I don't think there's a ton to say about any one of these players. I think it's pretty well understood how they fit into the Packers. And that, I guess, is the overall take from each of these guys. Collectively, it seems like each of them did a good job or represented a good attempt at shoring up holes Brian Gutekunst knew he had on his roster. So B.J. Goodson, you need a sidekick for Blake Martinez. Boom, you go out and get B.J. Goodson, who is at least competent, for a conditional late-round pick. Darius Shepard isn't working as a punt returner. You at least try out Tremont Smith, who has a background, some background experience returning punts successfully in the NFL. He doesn't work out, so you got to get another punt returner. You get Tyler Irvin. He turns out to be a good one. And you have the opportunity to add a good offensive lineman late in the season. Jared Valdir falls into your lap. Plugging holes on your roster. We should mention this one in passing, too. In the back half of this season, the Packers converted some of Aaron Rodgers' salary to a roster bonus or a, a signing bonus. It's going to affect their cap situation going forward. And you can look up the numbers yourself to see how it really breaks down. Check out SpotTrack or OverTheCap.com, either one of those. It'll give you an idea how the Packers' cap situation has changed because of what the Packers did. All I will offer on that is this. It could put the Packers in a bind later on and could force a decision on Aaron Rodgers at or about 2022. A like, we're going to go in a categorically different direction from Aaron Rodgers type decision. Maybe that decision will come for different reasons sooner than that, but that is kind of the ticking time bomb now, given how his cap number is going to go up. Overall, where do we land for Brian Gutekunst? These two seasons, this last season, I guess, in particular, we're, we're looking at grading-wise. For me, I think it, it lands on like an A-B+. minus You've got stuff you're, that was good. You've got stuff that was bad. You've got stuff that we're still unsure about. And it's the stuff that we're unsure about that leans me more towards B+, plus, A- minus than like A. 
The good stuff is moving on from higher-priced vets. He got rid of Nick Perry. He got rid of Mike Daniels, freed up some cap space for guys that weren't going to play big roles for the Packers anyway. He also got really good bang for his buck in free agency. If free agency is supposed to be a short-term fix for your roster, and it probably is, it's probably not best to make that into a long-term roster strategy for you, the Packers got great bang for their buck in 2019. Who knows about 2020, 2021, those contracts get bigger and bigger. Who knows? But for now, it worked out great. The bad, mo- the bad situation for Gutekunst was throwing good money after bad with Jimmy Graham. Doubling down on that did not seem like a good idea at the time. It only lurk- looked worse over the course of 2019. Stuff we're unsure about. Big bets in the first round. Taking the, the capital pre- P project, Rashawn Gary, 12th, trading three picks for Darnell Savage. Those are big question marks still. You've got the Rodgers cap space move that could cause a big crunch for the Packers in 2022. Either one of those could really be a big problem for the Packers. Probably more the first than the second, quite honestly. But those are things that are going to be in process. Those are things we're going to have to keep tabs on for Brian Gutekunst over the next couple of years to see where his 2019 season even really winds up. And maybe that's why we need to look at off-seasons like draft classes. Maybe we got to let it age a couple years before we really put down a firm grade. But for the in-progress grade on Brian Gutekunst from this time a year ago until now, I think it's it's an A minus B plus. And depending on what time you catch me, it might be either one of those. What do you think? Let me know your thoughts about Brian Gutekunst's second offseason at the helm in Green Bay. Leave us a comment on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. Let us know what your thoughts are. I'm interested to see what you have to say. We're going to move in next to our evaluations of each position group, as well as looking ahead at how free agency could shape either one of those groups, any one of those groups. I'm eager to get started on that, and I hope you are eager to join us as well. But for right now, that's all I've got for you in this episode. Thank you so much for listening in. I do appreciate everybody who takes the time to download one of our episodes. If this was good content to you, if this sounded good, if you liked what we talked about here, consider joining us at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. A dollar per month gets you access to even more of this type of content, including a new article coming out this week. I think we got two on tap for February, so keep an eye on that. Good stuff coming your way there. Don't forget to check out our t-shirts and sweatshirts by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. By supporting us on Patreon, actually, you get up to 25% off your Teespring purchases. So consider doing that just as an added bonus. I think you're going to save more than a dollar if you use that code there anyway. So bonus stuff there for you. In addition to the bonus content, you also get some money off any purchases you make. Uh, on Teespring. And if you've got an idea for the show, just want to say hi, reach us at thepowersweep.com on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, or just email the show at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We do appreciate everybody who takes the time to reach out. Because as always, every bit of feedback, every thought, every question you throw our way helps us make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better, which furthers our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.